Turn to Galatians chapter 2, and we'll start reading in verse 19. We read three verses, and the title of the message is The Believer's Identity in Christ. Let me say before I forget, last week it was, um, I think that was last week, Gospel Foundational Principles. This is, this is flowing from that. Now that we have know those Gospel Foundational Principles, we are in... A new identity and how do we how do we work with that how do we maneuver with that new identity verse 19 for through the law I died to the law that I might live to God I have been crucified with Christ and I live yet no longer I but Christ lives in me and that life I now live in the flesh, referring to this, this body that I carry around. I live by faith toward the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me or on my behalf. I do not set aside the grace of God. I think the King James says frustrate. Because if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain or without cause, which would mean he would waste his time dying if you could be saved through the law. So we'll uh, pick up on some of those verses a little bit later down through the down through the message. The people of God, and when I say that, I'm talking about believers. It's the ones last week that hold to these foundational gospel principles. Believers who we reiterated the fact that these are the few as opposed to the many that don't believe. God's people are under constant spiritual attack and assault daily concerning our identity in Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us this clearly. Some of you experience it and talk about it one to another. I see it all the time. It is a war and the world is against us, whether it's the religious world or the, just the system of the world that's against anything to do with Christ and the gospel. The world's philosophy, the world's thoughts, and they're trying to tear down Christ from various angles. And uh, you don't have to turn there. Two verses you're familiar with. Our weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but mighty through God, pulling down of strongholds, pulling down imaginations. Imaginations are arguments or reasonings from the enemy, from the world. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and whether that be people in authority or people that think they have wisdom, they're high-minded, you know, they think they have these human understandings and answers. That is what we fight against. We pull those down using the weapon of the Word of God. He goes on to say, bringing in captivity every thought into the obedience of Christ. And so that's what we do with the weapon that we use. We have, we have the mind of Christ, we have the indwelling spirit, and we have the word of God. And this is the weapon, weapons that we fight with against the lie and the assault of the world system. So we know that God's people, in order to do this efficiently, they need to be skilled in the word of righteousness. They need to have their spiritual senses exercised so that they can get off the bottle. Now that is a, that is a paraphrase from Hebrews 5. 
That's what he told some of those people there that the book of Hebrews, you know, they were they were tempted and being taunted by the religious world to come back into the old covenant. And um, they were like, you know, questioning it, considering it, talking about it, you know, favoring traditions and different things. And they were like teetering. And the book of Hebrews is to say, <laughs> now, if you go back there, there's no more sacrifice for sins. You know, the idea was, how in the world did you get to the point where you'd even consider some of these things? You're still on the bottle. He said, the writer of Hebrews even went as far as said, you're at the point of time, you've been in this long enough, you should be a teacher. But you need to drink milk again. So this is what we need to do in order to be efficient in, in seeing these things, you know, of course, by faith. We know that, that we're now in the family of God. I'm, I'm listing some positive things here to kind of bolster our, our, you know, to comfort you in our situation, in our identity in Christ. We're adopted in the family of God. We are joint heirs with Christ in all things. We know the value of eternal life and knowing Christ. John 17, 3, and this is life eternal, that you may know him, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. We now have, of course, access to the throne of grace in times of trouble. It's 24-7, based on the authority of the blood of Christ, not if we're doing good in that any given time, we can jump in there with boldness. The boldness has to do with Christ, and the access has to do with Christ. He's our mediator and our advocate. We are now freely given all spiritual blessings because of the death of Christ, what it secured. And... We have assurance, peace, and joy based on the promises of God in Christ. All those promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. And we see those by faith and we agree with them. And when, when this takes place, this, this gives us strength. And we can go beyond the bottle and go toward the meat. Whatever that meat may be at any given time. And all this is based on the performance of of our representative, which was one of those gospel principles we talked about last week, representation. So it's all based on that, the fact that we are blessed because of our representative. And our representative, of course, secured our salvation by his obedience of death. He merited for us a perfect righteousness that will not just reconcile us, but also will gain us all these things that we've mentioned, all the spiritual blessings, all these things. The, the treasure of wisdom that is in Christ, in him is all the treasure. We have all that. We have all that. We need to continue to see that and access it and use it and be strengthened and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and not have a tendency to lean back and fall back on our own understanding or panic and have anxiety about the enemy I mean, he has won the battle. We, we've got this thing. Faith is our victory that overcomes the world. Not faith in ourselves, Not faith in ourselves that we can do this. But faith in Christ who's already accomplished it and is won and is ascended and exalted on the throne already. He rules and reigns right now. And we know the verse that uh, is another one we probably have memorized. So that if anyone is in Christ... That one is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Now, one of the main old things that has passed away is our condemnation. It's passed away. 
It will never rear its ugly head again unless it's only in your mind. If you look away from Christ, turn your eyes inside and start to think again like you used to about a conditional salvation, what will creep in? Guilt, fear, doubt, self-condemnation. So this is, this is really easy. It's, it's either one or the other. It's either you're completely righteous in Christ, completely holy, accepted no matter what, or you're on this roller coaster, and it's changeable. It's wavering, and uh, you're going to lose your mind. Some people have killed themselves over stuff like that. I know some of them. I've talked to some before it happened. And so this is why it's not just a neutral thing. It's not just, well, you, we can worry about this or take it and leave it. No, this is a big deal. It's, it's not just people killing themselves. It's eternal life. It has to do with the way we think about who God is, what he requires, and what Christ performed, and, and who we are, and so on. And uh, false religion screws it up all along the way, every single step. So condemnation is one of those old things that passes away. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, who walk by the Spirit. And by the way, all God's people who are in Christ Jesus do walk by the Spirit. And there again, in our minds, sometimes we have this temptation or, or you know, a draw from the world to try to walk in the other way and so that's that's the war that's the battle and that's what we need to shore up our skills so that we can see that further away see it coming quicker it's a training issue it's a it's a growing issue so believers they're in a they're in a brand new position state and identity they're justified saints we have the righteousness of Christ imputed to our account it makes us righteous as Christ. When God sees us, he sees the righteousness of his son. We are holy, we are separated, and we are fit for heaven in God's eyes because of what Christ accomplished for us. Let's go to uh, Romans chapter 6 and just briefly look at uh, some of this representative identity. Chapter 6, verse 1 is on the heels of off of the heels of that very encouraging chapter there concerning grace reigning through righteousness and our, our security there and our, the work of the representative. Uh, it contrasts Adam and Christ, Adam representing you know, the whole world and then Christ representing his people. And as you go down through there, it, there's just back and forth argument and reasoning of, of what is what. And it's clear that there is hyper-abundant grace in the work of Christ, and his people are secure by that work. And after he talks about that, he says this in verse 1 of Romans 6, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, or, or let it not be said. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it. Do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Now, let me just say here, we, we've covered this text several different times before in different messages, 
and I say the same thing about it, and I don't, I don't need to take the time to develop why I say this right now, and I have before, but this baptism is not talking about water at all. Verse 4, Therefore we were buried with him in bat by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For or because if we have been joined together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now watch this here. Knowing this, we already know this, he's saying. Knowing this, and here's the next point tied to it, what he's getting at is that our old man is crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be destroyed, that from now on we should not serve sin. So our old man is crucified. That, it, that means dead, by the way. You don't survive crucifixion. Our old man is dead. That's good news. <laughs> we don't operate out of the old man platform. And it is dead in order that the body of sin might be destroyed. And from now on we should not serve sin. For or because, verse 7, he who died has been justified from sin. But if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Knowing that when Christ was raised from the dead, he dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. These are, these are very simple concepts here. Let's just keep going here and it's getting better as it goes along. For in that he died, he died to sin once. Remember, once and for all time. Hebrews is clear on that. But in that he lives, he lives to God. Now that sounds just like what we read in Galatians 2. The life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. We're going to readdress that here in a minute. Now, having said all that about Christ, he says this in verse 11 concerning us connected with Christ as Christ represented us in his death and we were in him in his death and we were baptized into his death. He says this, because that's what he said so far, what I just said. And, and the result of it is sin's, sin's done. The old man's dead. And he says this in verse 11. Likewise, just like all these things I had just said that have been accomplished, count yourselves. He's talking to believers. You can't say this to unbelievers, right? I mean, this, I could use this for a passage, a text, in dealing with evangelism in connection with election. You cannot say this to unbelievers. This does not apply to unbelievers. This is for believers. Likewise, count yourselves also to be truly dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This word count is the same word impute. Reckon, charge, to the account of, 
Transfer this idea to yourself. Count yourselves to be dead to sin. So if you see that phrase and you go back and read all those things it talks about in the previous verses that we just read about what it is to be dead to the sin, death has no more dominion over you. Period. You're freed. And that word's justified too. You're freed from sin. The old man's dead. And it's it's like a it's it's a lifelong celebration. I remember when I was a kid, I hadn't seen it in probably thirty years, Wizard of Oz, the wicked witch was dead, and they sang they sang that song. It was celebratory. The old man's dead. Sing that song. Right? Alright, so you have that in mind. Let me read that other line back in our text. Galatians 2.19 says, For through the law I died to the law, that I might live to God. I mean, that's a packed verse there. This has to do with a few different things. We know primarily that the law is given to show us we can't keep it. We know that, right? Multiple testimony of that. It's clear. There's no, there's no even arguing it. So when it comes up, like salvation condition on the law, it's like, what? I mean, serious? I mean, this is not even worth addressing. Your conscience bears witness that you can't do this. God's word does, clearly. But Christ, the one who was born of a woman under the law, to keep the law, to honor the law, to magnify the law in reference to satisfying the law, when that took place, he defeated death and condemnation of the law by his death, by the merit of his death. And as we are brought to see that we can't keep that law and we see the one who satisfied it, we see like in Romans 10.4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. We've died to the law. We're married to another. I mean, this, the ceremony has, has already begun. And we're going to look here in a minute about not flirting with and holding hands with our ex or our, our widow. Going back to the graveyard. It's not going to help. Let's go to chapter 3 of Galatians. There's a few verses there I want us to see. Again, let's bring into our minds here. We're talking about our identity in Christ. Our identity in Christ. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 21 I think most of these that I copied and pasted on my computer here are modern King James Version, pretty sure for the most part. In case you're wondering, sometimes I'll try to insert other words from other versions that I know, you know, that where there's a difference. Is the law then, verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid, let it, let it not be said. For if a law had been given which could have given life, indeed righteousness would have been from the law. There's something that we're going to cover in the election series about the so-called covenant of works. This seems to kind of jump out at that idea right here. Verse 22, But the scripture shut up all under sin, so that the promise, notice this, by faith... Of Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe but before faith came we were kept under the law having been shut up to the faith 
about to be revealed so that the law has become a trainer which is a tutor or a schoolmaster a trainer of us until Christ that we might be justified by faith for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ for as many as were baptized into Christ you put on Christ I believe this is the same talk back in Romans that we were talking about this baptism therefore here's the conclusion and this is part of the reason I mean really all the text I read is is some reason but this is part of it too right here kind of in reference to our identity now look at verse 28 therefore um, there cannot be Jew nor Greek there is neither bond nor free there is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus and if you are Christ's then you are Abraham's seed according to the promise not according to the physical bloodline which doesn't matter by the way that identity doesn't matter that's clear but it is a spiritual seed it has to do with belief in the gospel belief in the promise notice verse 28 it, it talks about all these divisions it talks about people from different countries and cultures and different life circumstances freedom and bondage different genders and I imagine Paul could have gone on and on and on with another list a long list of different divisions of categories of slices of different types of people um, levels of people types of people races of people on and on he could have it's almost endless but he says none of that matters and he brings it in this idea of identity and he identified everybody that believed the gospel that are in Christ the end of verse 28 those that are in Christ he said if you're in if you're if you are Christ's then you're Abraham's seed so that brings all the all the splits and divisions crumbling down and brings it into one unified point identity in Christ that's it So you have these goofy uh, millionaire preachers and they're interviewed on uh, say Larry King Live or different shows like this do you think there are um, people of God that are outside and they use a the generic term Christianity and you got people like Billy Graham and uh, Joel Osteen and, and this is easy to see through um, now it's this new um, trendy pastor with a gigantic goofy glasses related to Hillsong somehow he kind of saying the same thing I don't know his name but they extend salvation outside of the truth of Christ you know the the broadening I forget how uh, Robert Shore put it when Billy Graham mentioned this the broadening the opening of God's merciful door to extend outside to those who don't even know or believe in Christ 
And that's putting it generically. You know how specific we are with last week. Our gospel principles kind of brings it down pretty narrow. Um, narrow as the scripture does. That's why I said it. So we are not identified with anything that the world would designate as some compartmental division that they would want you to be a part of. Uh, and they desperately, they desperately want your mind. This is a battle of the mind. You know, each, it's just like going to, uh, you know, a fair or a mall and everybody has their kiosk or their little store set up and they're beckoning you. Spend your money over here. You know, and they, they got sparkles and balloons and music and just like trying to draw you. And that's the way religion is. And they want to tickle your fancy in something in your mind that appeals to you so that they may glory in your flesh and you can also do the same. It's, it's, it's about the mind. We've been given the mind of Christ and that's what we want to continue to talk about here. So we know that the just shall live by faith, it says. I think that's the most often quoted Old Testament text in the New Testament. The just shall live by faith. Living by faith and walking by the Spirit is, is simply this. I mean, you, you could say it a few different ways, but I, I like to try to figure out you know, clearer ways to say it, sum it up. And I know sometimes we use synonyms and hit it from different angles, but... Living by faith and walking in spirit is seeing that we are always accepted only in Christ. Having that in your mind when you think about everything about God is that we are always accepted only in Christ. That may sound simple, but to apply that in everything that you think about God is, is really another story. It's it's where the, as they say, it's where the rubber meets the road. Now, walking in the flesh is uh, to not live by faith. And it is having confidence in the flesh. As Paul warns in Philippians 3, we don't, we don't have confidence in the flesh. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. And we don't have confidence in the flesh. Walking in the flesh is having confidence in the flesh. Walking in the spirit, living by faith, is seeing that you're always accepted only in Christ. One is walking by faith, one's walking by sight. And the one walking by sight has to do really with your senses. You know, it's it, and it changes because we're changeable. Walking by faith is looking to Christ, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. So we know believers, as believers, we have the proper gospel doctrine. God be thanked that you obeyed that form of doctrine from the heart. John or uh, Romans six seventeen. So we're we're in there that we're through those means we're brought into by the power of the Spirit, seeing that gospel by the power of gospel. We're we're alivened and and waken up to the truth and the lies exposed we're given repentance from the lie so we're in right we're, we're we're in the arena so we can see what's going on and as we enter in all these principles flood our our mind by faith 
and we grow in all these things and we we're able to start training and operate and walk in the spirit and, and know how to um, see things properly where we didn't see things right at all we were blind of course and as we as we read and study and hear and grow and learn and fellowship and 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 are strengthened uh, if we were blind before, we see certain things for the first time. It's like, what is that? You know, and then we get in there and we it expands in our minds. We have the mind of Christ. We, we have the ability to do that now through the Spirit, through the, uh, the means of the Word of God. And it's, it's no credit to us, something that God gives us. This is part of the, all the spiritual blessings. So we have that doctrine given to us. And uh, doctrine is important. It's, I mean, it's life and death. You get a false doctrine in the church that goes against the gospel. It'll, it'll ruin this, this peace and joy and assurance that this heaven on earth that you had before. We don't, we don't want division in the church in reference to uh, bad doctrine. So we must be there. In, in reference to this this gospel and believe that gospel uh, before we take this first step to obey if you don't have the gospel right don't don't even obey don't even start to obey because you're gonna you're gonna mess up I remember years ago somebody asked me in a, in a meeting one time he verbally in the back he he just wanted to do something bad he wanted to be involved and he wanted to do some works and he asked me about it and I said you got to get the gospel right first you know because it's just like stepping in a landmine. If you don't have the gospel right, you're going to blow yourself up because of all the warnings. Works without faith is dead. That's not a scripture. That's a scriptural idea. Faith without works is dead is the scripture. But works without faith is dead. It's dead works. So if you work without faith in the gospel, you're, you're a Pharisee. You know, all you're doing is every single thing you do is sin. It's self-righteous hypocrisy. It's showing your hatred for God, not your service to God. So this is what has to be straight before we take the first step. We have to be solid in the gospel. And this is some of the warnings that the writers of the New Testament were saying. Look, I thought you guys were solid in the gospel. And now you got to get on the bottle again. That's what he's saying. So... Every week we shore these things up and we get strengthened in this. Again, it's a spiritual training issue. So the subject of the Christian life, as people are prone to say it, is really convoluted. And we know that. And uh, self-righteousness, I think, is the base factor, the foundation problem in false religion. We know that it's all about conditionalism and the very thing that religion would use to boast as evidence of salvation is the very thing that we see as evidence of a false gospel. Warnings about false gospels and false religion and self-righteousness, we put out the warning, they embrace the warning as evidence of their regeneration. They do the very opposite. And they drive themselves crazy. Worst case scenario, they commit suicide. So the scripture identifies dead works clearly. We warn about it, and uh, these are the same ones uh, as we studied not too long ago. The many that in the end will say, but Lord, Lord, haven't I done this? They're pleading something other than 
the righteousness of Christ. And whatever they're pleading besides the righteousness of Christ, every single thing without exception is dead works. Put it in the list. I don't care. It's dead works. They don't honor God. They don't reverence God. They don't respect God. They don't have a proper fear of him, a reverence for him. All right, so knowing that, we need to remember as believers, we're, we're bought with a price. We're not our own. As free and sovereign grace people, we need to remember that. We know that we're not under the law, but then again, we have to be brought to see that we're bought with a price. We're not our own. We're slaves to Christ. He bought us with his blood. Now, remember in the uh, election series, we talked about that, that God doesn't love us for us. He didn't choose us for us. It's all conditioned on Christ, our representative. Now, do you think that idea that everything's conditioned on Christ at the beginning, love and election, do you think later on that changes, that stuff starts becoming conditioned on us? Well, I hope not. Like we get a jump start and, you know, we get wound up and he lets us go, you know, sink or swim. No, it's always conditioned on Christ, our representative. We're always accepted in him all the way through every facet of salvation to glorification even. It's all conditioned on Christ. So once we know all that, those questions are often asked, and they should be posed to us too, especially in an assembly or congregation. Since we're exhorted to love and good works, and we are, it's clear in Scripture, how or why are they good works and not dead works? I mean, I've just sit, sat here and blasted false religion for dead works. And we know we're exhorted to do good works. So before we take the first step to go out and do things, I'm not saying anybody here has not yet taken a step. We've all taken steps. We claim to be believers. But how do we know? How and why do we know that these are good works and not dead works? This is, a, this is kind of a popular question that I've heard a lot of times. So I want to I ask, uh, really answer some and, and see if these certain things are factors. We'll kind of kind of show their importance, each one we bring up. But in the end, I want to show the main, the main thing. So the first question is, is faith a factor? Now, we've already read some verses about faith. Faith is vital. All kind of verses pop up in my head. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? Whatever is not of faith is sin. Right away, we start identifying dead works. A work that is done not by faith, I already did that with that little fancy turnaround on James. I used it on the dead works side. So whatever is not of faith is sin. The just shall live by faith. That was one of the texts we look at. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Is faith a factor? Yeah. It is. Is our motive a factor? Motive is very important. And as important as it is, that's not what makes anything we do acceptable to God. That's not the main thing. As important as it is. And it must be there. Faith and motive must be there. But the key thing, the gospel thing, and this is what faith looks to. It's what we've been talking about in reference to identity. The key fact or truth is that we, we are accepted in Christ and we are never accepted in ourselves or the flesh, in other words. So if a work is accepted, 
it will be by faith and be by the right motive, no doubt about it. But the main reason is because we're in Christ and we're accepted in Christ. We're a good tree. And good trees cannot produce bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. All right? You see, that is that is the, the first thing. That's the priority thing. That we are in Christ. We're accepted in the beloved. And then the Spirit and the Word and the ministry teaches us that we do things by faith, by the right motive. But until we get this thing right about the gospel, which is we're in Christ and accepted only in Christ, that's the key. If you don't have that straight, it's just dead works. It's a lifelong dead work marathon. And in the end, you can cap it off by saying, wasting your time and saying, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this, that, and the other, and there you go into hell. Accepted in Christ, never accepted in ourself. We usually are quick to see the first part, accepted in Christ, but the other part, we're never accepted in ourself. That's not talked about much. We'll look at some more of that here in a minute. So this covers when we sin or when we do good works. So we're accepted in Christ, never accepted in ourselves. It's when we sin or do good works. Now, we know in false religion that the good works itself is sin. So it's a matter of like finding out what that looks like. You know, that's, that's important. Because if you don't know what that looks like and you're in the middle of it, it's called deception. And that's when at the end you'll say, didn't I do this and that? And find out you've been deceived. So we get instruction from God's word how to live the Christian life. And I just use that as a just kind of gather up our thoughts about what we're talking about. The word Christian doesn't really mean anything anymore, does it really? Evangelical doesn't mean anything anymore. You know, come to find out Calvinist doesn't mean squat anymore. Doesn't mean anything. I see that on a daily basis. Just like anything else, talk about predestination. That doesn't mean anything unless you define it. Most people thought predestination, yeah, God knows what's going to happen. That's not, what we're, that's not predestination, what are you talking about? So it's the same with all these terms. So there are instructions in the Word of God. We live this life by faith and love because we're thankful. And um, here's what I want to see, that those instructions, how to live, they're not, they're not, they're not to the old man. They're not to the old man. They're not to the flesh. Those instructions are not to the flesh. And when I speak to you about this thing, I'm not talking to your flesh. Not, not asking your flesh to do anything. Talking to the new creation. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10 Notice, his workmanship, there's a creator involved here, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And notice this, that went way before God has before ordained that we should walk. This look like you have anything to do with lifting yourself up by your bootstraps. So this is this instruction is not to the old man. It's not to the flesh, not to the carnal mind. The carnal mind is at enmity with God. We know the other verses talking about being confident of this very thing that he that begun a good work in you would perform it until the day of Christ. 
For it's God, next chapter in Philippians, it's God that works in you both to will and do of its good pleasure. We, we know these things. So as we hear these verses, we solidify these things in our minds and we make these categories in our minds like what we, we see. This is what we used to be taught. This is what we used to believe. And this is the implications of that are not good. And this is now our new identity in Christ. And this is this gospel doctrine. And this is the way this flows out from the grace of God, grace bringing it to us, spiritual blessings. He gets all the credit, all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. So in conclusion, just kind of a practical application here. You take it and apply it to yourself. This living by faith thing and walking by the Spirit, it's not this little 90-minute window like Sunday morning. That's not it. That's not just it. It's not merely it. It's part of it. We know it's all of life. And same with worship. Worship is not just this short time. It might be the culmination of the week, and, and there might be an intensity of worship when the saints of God come together. That God is here in a special way, I believe. He talks that way in the scripture. But worship is outside of these four walls. Everything else is too. Prayer, Bible study, uh, evangelism, your attention, your affection. It's not like when you go out this door, you, you turn up, okay, I'm identified with Christ, so walk out that door, now it's me time. It doesn't work that way. That's why I'm driving us here. To see the joy and the comfort of our identity in Christ and how that in Christ we're bulletproof now and forever. And the more that we look inside or are selfish with our lives, don't serve Christ and serve others, it's, it's a bad time. It's not going to be joyous for you. You're going to run into problems. You're going to affect a lot of different things detrimentally. So if, if you have a new identity in Christ, the you has lost your identity. I mean, otherwise that verse wouldn't make any sense. We're bought with a price. That would just mean nothing. If the death of Christ is the most important thing in the world, and that's what we're bought with a price for, what does that mean in reference to you? It means you got a new identity and your old identity. The old man's dead, remember? We, uh, we read it. The old man's dead. So the question is, who are you? That's the question I leave you with. We'll read that verse again in uh, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I live, yet no longer I. It's not me that lives. As he's going through here, he's talking about different identities, right? It's not me, but Christ lives in me. That's my new identity. I identify with Christ. And the life that I now live in this flesh or body, I live by faith, right? The just shall live by faith. What is that faith toward? It's toward an object. This is worded here specifically on purpose to show us the object of faith. I live by faith toward the Son of God, Christ, who loved me. And he gave himself for me on my behalf at substitution. One of the other gospel principles, substitution representation we talked about. So all this, all this is harmonious of why it happens. 
the death of Christ is mentioned last as the foundation. The first part of the line is really the action in the middle of that that's taken place during the death of Christ. I'm crucified with this one that was crucified. When he died, I died. He's my representative. And the old man is, is the one that died. My old identity is dead. My new identity is alive in Christ. I'm a new creature. I'm righteous. And my new identity provides me some perks. I have some entitlements. And they're, they're not because of me. <laughs> they're because of the death of this one. I'm entitled now to just about everything you can think of that's good. All spiritual blessings in Christ, that treasure of wisdom, the righteousness, state of non-imputation of sin, uh, security, assurance, peace, reconciliation, adoption, the list goes on. It goes on and on and on. New identity. There's no in-betweens. It's either one or the other. There's no in-betweens about who did the work. There's no shared glory. It's all attributed to the lamb slain. All glory and honor goes to him. All right. So we got time, like a half hour question and answer session. Now we got to take the Lord's Supper, actually. Any questions or comments, though, before we go on?